Welcome to this week's podcast. My guest on Facing the Canon is John Kirkby, founder of Christians Against Poverty. John Kirkby, welcome to Facing the Canon. Thank you so much, it's great. Oh, I'm so glad you're here. John, let's go back to the beginning. You, your family, your parents, yeah. believers, you grew up within the Christian faith, but you rejected it. Yes. Let's start there. <clears throat> okay, let's start, where, let's start at the very beginning. Uh, yes, as you say, I was brought up in a, a really idyllic home. So uh, I was the son my dad had longed for. Um, my mum described me as a pleasant surprise. Yes. My older sisters were 30 years older than me, so I was definitely a surprise. I was inseparable from my dad and really idyllic upbringing. And then aged nine, my father contracted a, a serious blood disorder and our idyllic life fell apart and part of that falling apart was me no longer going to church with my mum but also I suffered from dyslexia I was deemed to have special needs in those days you were just deemed to not be very clever yes um, and then as my father's illness grew as I became a teenager um, I really lost the plot I became yeah quite a quite a violent um, angry very lost soul really watching my father die and a bit consumed with drink and drugs yeah the drink was a big deal yes the drunk the drugs was almost dabbling but dabbling. the drink was a, a big deal but the it was it was the impact on me in terms of yeah living quite a yeah totally dysfunctional life left school just before I was 16 and yeah and then when I was 18 my dad died and then within a, a year there authorities came and basically took my mother away and placed her in an asylum as it was in those days. So at 18, I'm completely lost. My dad's gone, my mum's gone. Um, I remember the authorities shutting the file. I got a distinct memory of them sat in the room when my mum was taken away and they just said, so how old are you? And I was 18 years and nine months. And they literally just closed the file and walked out. Yes. So basically dragged myself up, really. You always... Um you're a bit of an entrepreneur. I am. Work. You started work at 15. You yeah. lied when you were 15 to get <laughs> a did. job. Yeah, I made up a national insurance yes. number. Just borrowed my mate's national insurance number. I mean, yeah, it's, where is, is it entrepreneurial? Is it survival? So, you know, when, I'm, when I was on my own after my dad had gone, um, I just needed a job. So I got the best job I could, which was yeah. a door-to-door um, debt collector yes. in Bradford involved in repossessing all sorts of stuff um probably one of the grimmest jobs you can imagine but somehow that spirit of i'm gonna i'm gonna make whatever chance i've got work i had no option uh, really came into my life and yeah over the next sort of 10 years or so i did reasonably well let's say that from yeah. where i came well, from you i survived started, you survived <laughs> and um, prospered you sold some beds some beds <laughs> i manufactured solariums i did water filters oh my gosh yeah i basically did whatever i needed to do um to survive and also learn how really not to not to do it because yes. in the early yeah in the early 90s i basically threw poor money management and many, many mistakes, really. And also, I think the truth was, I was probably still the broken young man I'd been. So I yes. think there was a lot of veneer on my life and that resulted in my first marriage ending and um, to move out of the house, colossal debts. Um, yeah, that was 
really, really, really grim. But in, it's interestingly when people say, "Where did Cap start?" Yes, it did start. You know, 1996, nearly 25 years ago. But I think it really started, without a shadow of doubt, in that period when I was really hopeless and broken. Yes, uh, you flourished, uh, flourished financially, but then you lost it all. All of it. All of it. And more. Gone. Yeah, you were in serious debt yourself. Yeah. So you you experience what that feels like. This is not theory for you. No. No, it, it's very difficult to to explain to someone who's not been through it. But um, so I, I stay, a friend was very kind to us and let me and my two girls stay in his house. But we only had one room, so I had a bed sit. And I lived in the bed and we had two camp beds when the kids stayed. And, you know, I used to wake up in the morning and I'd just describe it as like a weight. So I used to feel, physically feel just not another day, you know, not... You know, how are we going to be? What's going to happen? Um, and the shame and the guilt of being judged by everybody and also being abandoned by everybody as well. And, and I really don't blame, I don't blame the people who did that because yes. I still wasn't great, really. But I looked after my girls and somehow, yeah, in the midst of all that, in walked a guy who'd read his Bible. Yes. And he'd read the bit about... Um, whatever you do for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you do for me in Matthew 25. And at first I was very wary of him because when you've got nothing, you are wary of people's motives. You're very attuned. So what's in it for you? Why are you bothering about me? Because no one else has bothered about me apart from my mum. My mum was amazing. Um, my mum was amazing, but very other few people cared. But there was just something about this guy who's called Paul. Um, he's still a great friend. I was praying with him just this week. No. And he basically showed me the love of Jesus, unconditional. I am with you, John. How can I help you? Let me help you. And, yeah, I'm sure you can gather what then happened. So that rekindled your faith? Uh, to be honest, I think my faith had died years Outside. ago. Oh. So it oh, resurrected no. dead, it. Dead, dead, buried. Dead. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, yeah, I was the last person in the world. I remember the first time he rang me up and I picked the phone because I was trying to rent a house out that I really shouldn't have done, but I was trying anyway. And picked the phone up and he said, hi, I've just seen you sign about renting this house. I'm a pastor. And I remember thinking, I remember looking at the phone going, the last thing I need right now is a flipping pastor. Yes. And I think, what? I don't need a pastor. What's that about? I just yeah. want somebody to rent the house. But... As we but God now. used that. Oh, enormously. And then, of course, not only did he show me the love of God, but also in showing me, he began to he began to explain it to me. And then he did those wonderful words, would you like to come to church? The f- sentence of my life transformation. I went to church, only a small church, about 20 people. And, of course, he preached on Jesus. And I'm in this place going, this guy knows me. This guy yes. knows me. How does he know me? And of course, a huge at a huge hole. I mean, I think everybody's born with a hole in their heart that only Jesus can fill. But mine had it become a bit of a chasm, really. It's just a deep-seated emptiness, a deep-seated longing for the must be more, a deep-seated sense of guilt and shame, all inside me. But in 1992, in that wonderful July, 
I accepted Christ as my personal saviour. Um, and upon that decision, my life began to pivot. I say began. Yes. Because the first couple of years, yeah, I know it's great when somebody finds Christ on a Tuesday and then by Wednesday they're all sorted yeah, out. Sure. Thursday in the midweek group, <laughs> Sunday they're serving at church and yes. tithing and whatever, but within a few days. And you know when that happens, yeah. I'm the biggest cheerer when that happens, but that wasn't my story. No. I was messed up. And it did take two, at least two years of love and reassurance, both from God and from sure. Paul. Um, and I just about recovered enough to get Lizzie to kind of have some interest in this guy. Yes. That's my wife. Yes. And yeah, that was again probably the second person that I know God brought along because I think without Lizzie's love and acceptance of me sure. and my girls, she was a big part of my rebuilding, my self-esteem. Um, yeah, amazing. And we're celebrating our 25th birthday oh, anniversary next great. year. So, yeah, so, but I, I, don't, want, I don't want you to think... It, it's really important that it wasn't, it, it was an amazing time to know Christ, but also it was a difficult transition for me. You know, I still had problems with drink. Um, I had a couple of outbursts of violence, you know, but God never left me. He never gave up. I never gave up. Yes. I read the word. It said, if you, if you repent of your sins, you're forgiven. Yeah. I'm like, hallelujah, Jesus. So I went again and again and again. Paul stuck by me, Lizzie joined in, and of, by the time yeah, I'd been saved for four years, we got married and I was in a position to make another big decision to give my job up. Absolutely. And to help the poor. And so what was it, John, that triggered yeah. off the <laughs> birth of, of CAP? Yeah, of CAP, Christians Against Poverty. Okay. What's the story, <laughs> What's the story? behind that? Okay, well, it's, 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 it's classic Johnny Boy crazy, really, so we'll go with that. So by now, my career had, had rejuvenated. I was now running a, a large secured lending division for a, a big finance company. Um, I was earning significant money. I had paid off about £50,000 off my debt. I'd got a house back. Um, me and Lizzie were 18 weeks off getting married. I mean, literally like riding into the sunset. She often jokes she was waiting for a knight in shining armour. She's yes. got an old bloke on a donkey with two followers. But <laughs> So it, it was just amazing. We were 18 yes. weeks off getting married. It just looked fantastic. Wow. And then I walked into work um, in the March of 96. And I really had enjoyed my work. I've always enjoyed work. Whatever I'm doing, I, I did it really well. And I always enjoyed it. And I, I liked what I did. I built a successful division. I enjoyed the people I worked with. But I just walked in one day and went into my office. It was like a glass bowl kind of thing. I looked out across the office and something, something in me just went, you're done. Yeah. I'm like, no, no, not now. I'm getting married in 18 weeks. I can't be done now, God. You're done. And it was that just something inside just went, nah. I don't want to do this anymore. So the first thing was a knowledge that I wasn't going to carry on doing that, which in itself was a shock. But the next shock was, well, what are you going to do? And that's when I just knew I'm going to help the poor. I'm going to commit my life to reach other Johnny boys. I'm going to show people Jesus's love and I'm going to believe that I'm going to be part of leading people to Christ. That was a very so John, interesting Tuesday in that night. Moment, in that moment, you got both. One, 
it's over. It's your over. current. Yeah. There's a new calling. There's a new calling. And you sensed it and felt it. Yeah. Um, I, I've got to say the fun. By the way, in the midst of all this, this whole story, there are just some things that are just hilarious. So imagine the scene. I'm coming home on Tuesday night. I've now decided I'm going to give my job up and yes. I want to go help the poor. So I'm coming home to Lizzie. So we, we, on the evening, we were doing the place settings for the wedding. Like, you know, the oh, yeah. doing it all. Yeah, I remember. And I remember, I literally thought, I've got to just say it. So I leaned in and I said, Lizzie, I've got some news. Went, oh, you know, like yeah. some news, we're going out tonight, we're going out for a meal, just news. I've just got some news. Oh, what's that, John? I believe God's asked me to give me a job, which I want to do, and I want to go help the poor. Um, where would you like to put Auntie Margaret and Uncle Jack? <laughs> yeah. And um, literally just said it. Yeah. And this is, again, it's God, isn't it, confirming things in others as well. She was unbelievable. I mean, she didn't really understand what it meant around the changing lifestyle that we were about to embrace to give up my job and all the rest of it. But she basically said, listen, I'm, I want to marry you. I want to, I want to marry someone who does what they want Absolutely. God to do. Yeah. So she was with me really quickly. Yeah. And then I resigned and we got married. Miracles of provision. And then came home from our honeymoon and basically sat in my home office and said, okay, God, I want to call it Christians Against Poverty because that's who I am and that's what I'm against. And So, so the name itself just, yeah. just kind of surfaced yeah. within you. Well, I, I believe, I thought there's no way I'm going to get a charity called that because somebody else will have thought of that. Yeah, and to my amazement, as nobody. I nobody had, so we registered it, and and, I, and with yeah. just a little bit, one gift or ten a, pounds, ten pound gift, and a lot of faith. Oh, it was birthed. Yeah, and like anything, no, it was the most unannounced ministry in the history of unannounced ministries. There was nothing, just me and Lizzie praying and believing and supporting me. And I went out onto the streets of Bradford. I sat down with my first client, uh, Debbie, and. Where, where did you find Debbie? Well, I sent the worst ever, uh, <laughs> yes. worst ever mail shot out to all the churches in Bradford. I mean, categorically, it would have been the worst mail out ever. I mean, it was ridiculous. What on earth? It was just bonkers. Hi, I'm going to help all your yes. people in debt. It's like, yes. what? Anyway, so, so yeah, Debbie, so Debbie rang me up. Yeah, and I went to see her and sat down with her. She had, she's a beautiful lady. She actually uh, works for Cap now. Oh. Um, and... Two boys. Yeah. And she had nothing. she had needs and you nothing. were able to advise her. Yeah, and it, it wasn't I could understand where she I knew what she was on about. You know, she'd been left by her husband, loads of debts. She yeah, she would bake dumplings and buy fifty tins of beans and spaghetti to feed her two boys. She was praying. She said she prayed that her neighbour would feed her kids on the night. But not only did I have the obviously compassion for her, because I knew where she was. But this is the miracle. The miracle is I actually knew what to do. Yes. I knew what to do. Yeah. I knew exactly what yeah. to do. I was right. It was like I was so excited. This is what I'm called to do. This, this, this. No idea of what was going to happen. This is what I'm called to do. Thank you, God. I'm born for this. And I helped 34 families in that first year that... In, in Bradford. Yeah. And knew by the January within three months that this is it now. Yes. We're all in. And it was a good job we decided that because we'd need to be all in because the journey was, was yeah, very difficult. Sure. 
Now, uh, the word poverty, John, yeah. obviously can mean different things mm. in different countries. Like, you know, in developing countries, yeah. it may yeah. have a different, right? What, what does it mean, mean here. here in, in yeah. the UK? Well, it's, it's obviously based on their, their, where they find themselves in the society that they live. So anybody in any society, really, I would want to work with the, the least, with you know, the least in terms of income, in terms of lifestyle, I would want to be working. And when I see people doing the kind of work people do around the world, I'm just in awe of it. But for me, in where I was grown, where, where I was, the poverty was around people being so in debt and having so little money that they were losing their homes, their marriages were breaking up, they weren't feeding their children, they were sending their kids to school in rubbish uniforms, really where I'd been, putting things back on a supermarket, but also not just the financial poverty, but the social poverty of being judged and abandoned by everybody like yes. I was. So that was the poverty that I was laser focused at, and that was the poverty that God called us to. And that kind of crushes people, doesn't it? Yeah. And it overwhelms people. Yeah. It, because someone said to me recently around hopelessness, I said, well, if, if there's a solution, it's not hopeless. I'm like, but if you don't know the solution, it's worse than hopeless. Yeah. You know, people think people can sort this stuff out. It's like, you know, if, if my car broke down, literally stopped on the road, I would need someone else to come and mend it because I don't know how to do my car. Yes. Now, the mechanic, might the, think, the mechanic might think, well, surely you can mend a car. Mm, no. no. Why should I know how to mend a car? Why should people know how to get themselves out of horrendous situations and it's that hopelessness and also life sentence if you are in debt and you have overwhelmed increasing liabilities and you've got low income it is it is a physical emotional and spiritual life sentence the bars on these people's lives are stronger than the bars on any maximum security jail there is no escape there is no way out but that's what fires me up because there yeah. is a way out. But there you need us to come. Sure. You needed initially me on my own, and now, yeah, as you know, yeah. many others. Do you do you think uh, sometimes, John? Do we get into poverty because we make unwise choices, and with other people, uh, it was out of our hands. You know, yeah. the spouse left, yeah. the income dried up. Absolutely, yeah. Um, Okay, I do rage against a little bit of this, so if I end up having a bit of a rant, yes. I think that's okay. Um, you know, when I hear people say, you know, they've made some mistakes or they shouldn't have done this and they shouldn't have done that and they kind of deserve it, you know, that kind of yes. arrogant, judgmental yes. view, it makes my yeah. blood boil, it makes my spirit boil. Because they don't know the story. What? They don't know How the details. How dare you? How dare you judge? Suggest. You do not know. So, you know, when I'm at a checkout with my two girls in a trolley and I tried to add it up and I had to put something back, yeah. right? I had to pick what I wasn't going to feed my kids. And there's people in the queue loudly saying, I bet he drinks, I bet he smokes. Look, he can't even look after, he can't yeah, even, loud enough, right? What did I need at that point? Did I need someone to say, well, you've made some mistakes? Yeah. No, what I needed is someone to come along and go, we're with you, we're for yes. you, we don't yes. judge you. And let me tell you, you know, he, you know, glass houses throwing bricks. I think before we judge other people, yes. we need to look in the mirror. And although the consequences of some of our own mistakes might not be as dramatic as they are for some poor and needy people, it's compassion. And let me tell you, Jesus Christ came for the lost and the broken. He does not judge. He loves the poor. Yes. He hasn't got two verses in the Bible. If it's not your fault, I love you. And if you've made a few mistakes. But if people understood... 
well, I've just, it's something new yeah. of the hand of cards. My life was built. What I had in my life. Yes. People would understand or should be compassionate about the fact that I blew so much and I made so many mistakes. But it's not about the mistakes. These are human beings. They're mothers and fathers. They love their children just as much as you do. Yes. So please, for once, can we all make sure that compassion is at the forefront of our thinking and the forefront of our actions. Yes. Not judgment. Judgment never won anyone into no. the kingdom of God or never showed Jesus. It's compassion and love and care and help. Yeah, definitely empathy. And now, sometimes people think, oh, well, look, you know, particularly in the UK, you know, we have unemployment benefit, we have benefits. Uh, but even with all of that, yeah. for some people, yeah. it it doesn't make a, di a difference. I think if, if, if people hadn't found out how much you would get as a single mother with two kids, so, you know, how many, much money you'd get, and if you lived on that, and you lived on that not for one week, but for three months or six months, I think people would understand that, yes, I'm very, very grateful for, you know, any help that our nation gives to the poor. And praise God, we are a nation that does yeah. have compassion and yes. care for people yes. who are less needy. But the truth is, if your budget is so tight that you are literally having to watch every single meal, yeah. everything that yeah. you eat, buy, purchase. You can't even buy school uniform. No. And, you, you know, you want to give your kids a Christmas present, but, you know, you don't get any more, you don't get any more benefit at Christmas. No. But every mum and dad wants to buy their kid. You know, can you blame yeah. someone who just yeah. goes, look, I'm just sure. going to buy my kids a I present. Know. And then your landlord puts your rent up. Yeah. The vast majority of the people we help, it's not because of their mistakes. They're amazing. But... Illness, redundancy, unemployment, those are the things that just push. And you only need yes. a little bit, a little bit of push. Tips you and over. And that you tip over six months later, yeah. two years later, you are gone. You're, You're gone. gone. You're gone. Gone, gone, gone. You cannot get back. You cannot repay. You can't organise your money to repay your debts if your debts are 15 times more than what you earn in a year. It's impossible. It just is impossible. They need help to do that. And the sooner we can get involved, the easier it is. And Amazing. we turn no one away, apart from when we're overwhelmed with clients. Of course. Because there's always a hope and there's always a, a solution, which is really important. I so like that. There is always a hope and there's always a solution. Always. All right. From your um, research, yeah. um, how bad is the situation uh, in the UK yeah. and in some of the other countries yeah. that you're working in? Um, yeah, it, to be honest, if you'd asked me that question a, a couple of years ago, I could have been a bit more precise. Yes. I think with everything that's taking place in the world it's as we are right now, um, we're preparing for a tsunami of need. We're doing our very best yeah. to re-engineer our systems, to invest and recruit more, to basically be ready for what's coming. Um, it says there will always be poor in your land, and I think yeah. that is unfortunately going to be true. The number of people whose lives are going to be affected by this pandemic, I think will take the need into places where people never thought they'd ever need need. So I think yes. some people are aware that their lives are struggling, they're financially, things are difficult, but I think this is going to reach a whole new group of people. And I would say to everybody, um, ask your friends, how are you? How are you doing? How are things? If you hear of a friend who's unemployed or lost the job or been furloughed or made redundant or, or has an illness, as well as asking about the event, yeah. ask them about their finances. Yeah. Let's be a, 
let's be a, a group of people who actually care enough to help, our, to help our friends, but to ask our friends, how are you? Can we help you? Yes. Do you need more perfect? What do you need? Because I think the shame and guilt of this thing keeps it absolutely locked up. That's what the enemy wants. He wants to lock people up with shame and guilt. I should have done better. I could have done better with my money. Even if that's true, you don't need to live there. Compassion, care, but an openness just to tell people as well. If you're struggling, tell people that you need help. Pick the phone up, ring one of the free debt counseling agencies in the UK. Do something because if it's going downhill, it is going to go downhill and you cannot sort it out yourself. So for me, it's all about having a compassion and an awareness that things might not be as you see them or how you think. Let's be a people who ask, how are you? Can I help? Yes. Because that's what people need. And when you find out that someone's in trouble, whatever you do, do not judge them. Be compassionate yeah. to them. Yeah. Don't, don't think it's their fault. And even if it is, they've made some mistakes. Love, care, compassion are the powers of his spirit within us to change lives, communities. God has given us so much to actually make a difference in people's lives and say, well, I don't have anything. Yes, you have something. You can have the compassion of Jesus. You can care about people. You can put others first before yourself. You can serve the wider community. You can get involved in his mission to change the world. And he does it through compassion and care. And where I am, which is an area where people are struggling, the church's response has been phenomenal. 600 centres across the UK, yes. hundreds of churches joining in, 700 churches over the last few months connecting with us, getting ready to hopefully be able to meet the tsunami of need. The church can do this. The church can make a difference. In Isaiah 58, uh, 9 through to 12, it says, if you spend yourself on behalf of the poor and needy and meet the needs of the oppressed, then it has all these promises. It said, I will make your light shine in the darkness. I'll let your noonday be like the day. I will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered guy, like a spring who's never fit. And then in the message version, it says this. It says, you'll be known as a place that can fix anything, making communities livable again. I believe in Christ that we should be known as a place. The church should be known as a place. You should be known as a place that can help people, that we can fix anything and make communities livable again. And that is why I get up every day. Because we've got to do what God has asked us to do. And God is on the throne and he's able to do abundantly more than you or I could ever dream or imagine. And let me tell you, when I sat down 25 years ago with £10 in my little home office and said, OK, God, I'm going to go help a few people in Bradford. Let me tell you, he's been faithful to that word. This is beyond anything I would have ever dreamt or ever imagined. And he must get all the glory and all the honour and all the praise. Anything that is good in me, any advancements we've made, any progress, any growth, any life that's been touched, any church that's worked with us, any international expansion, everything and anything that is good in me and good in us is because of my Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Without him, I cannot imagine where I'd be, but with him, all things are possible and he has done a miracle beyond anything I would ever have imagined. John, you are an inspiration. Great to hear a little of your story and keep on keeping on. Keep on keeping on. Thank you for joining us on Facing the Canon. Thank you for having me. If you are in debt and you need some help, you need some advice. If you need any advice, please contact CAP, Christians Against Poverty. They're ready to advise you and to guide you. 
I hope you've been inspired like I have been today. Thank you so much for joining us on Facing the Canon. Please join us again. You've been listening to the J. John Podcast. To find out more about J. John's ministry, visit www.canonjjohn.com and follow him on social media. Heroes of the Faith is a new podcast by J. John and his wife, Killy. Sign up today to hear the incredible stories of some of J. John's heroes of the Christian faith and the lessons we can learn from their lives. Hear about Harriet Tubman, who after escaping from a life of slavery in the USA, went on to rescue over 300 other slaves. John Bunyan, whose book, The Pilgrim's Progress, has sold more copies than any other book other than the Bible and inspired millions of people around the world. George Muller, who helped tens of thousands of children whilst leaving a lasting legacy of trust in God's provision. Ever wondered who saved more lives than anyone else on earth? Listen to the story of Edward Jenner, the Christian doctor who discovered vaccination. With a new story to be told each week, sign up now to hear J. John's Heroes of the Faith.